Hello, folks. My name is Jason Ingber. I got my own podcast, but today we are hosting one for Morgan and Morgan, and we got the man, the myth, the legend, Keith, who has probably in the Guinness Book of Records the most trials ever done. He's spilling out wisdom. He's got a lot to say. Keith, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of what we're going to talk about in this episode, and then let's get into it. All right. We are going to uh, the other day we we had a we talked about this same topic and this is this third segment on it in which we're going to be talking about how to apply this surefire problem solving process of mine that I call the wisdom of the wise and it works on any kind of problem you face in a lawsuit and it also you can apply it in life and the basic premise is you take whatever the troubling fact is it's called I call it a fixed fact. And you put it here and you say, here's the right conclusion that I know in my heart of hearts is the right conclusion. Here's the wrong conclusion that someone else is trying to sell. And you focus on the, the perceived problem until you can get an answer. And the thing you focus on is the circumstances surrounding it, always asking this question, why are we still right? Or why am I still right in spite of this perceived problem. And so we're going to move forward into another area of common problem people see in your car crash case where someone has a some kind of neck back injury such as a herniated Nice, disc. let's get into it. All right. So let me go. Here's another common one that we face all the time that everyone will typically most people will see it as a problem that would require you to be concerned about going to trial. It would cause you to think I need to take a lesson settlement. And this is an opportunity for me to share, share with you why there is no reason to take a discount and to be fearless to go to trial. And so this topic involves your client is not a perfect specimen of health. They've got wear and tear. They got some health problems. They've maybe been in some other crash and gotten hurt, maybe even hurt in the same body part. Maybe they eat too much and they're overweight. Maybe they're unfortunate and they're struggling with diabetes or some health problem. And generally, when you look at it, the underlying problem is the conclusion the defense wants to reach, which is wrong, is, well, you already a mess before this. How much worse could this have made it? They may take it all the way extreme to say, your problems come from other things, not this. Wait, so why does this problem happen? What would you say contributes to that? Well, I think about the practicalities of it, the real life reasons. We don't represent children. Children may not have had problems and they may be, you know, unfortunately, some kids do, but certainly most kids are, are fairly healthy. When you get to adults, we got something wrong with us. <laughs> it's called aging. Anybody that is a grown-up is going to have had some problems with their back because your back never gets a moment off. Everything you do, turn, look, lift, everything we do involves your spine. So it's going to, at some point in time, you're going to pick something up, you're going to slip, slept wrong, something, and you're going to have some problems with it. You probably have gone to a doctor that is hurting. So there's going to be a history with spines, but it's more than that. Grown-ups tend to end up having health problems. We got wear and tear. We got mileage. We got people start to get diabetes. They get overweight. They get, you know, a variety of problems. They could be struggling with cancer and having chemo. 
So what got it. So this is something this is something that you have to contend with frequently and you have a way to spin this in a way that makes it favorable for you. Absolutely. Except I'm going to correct one thing just because I'm sensitive. You know, I'm big on integrity. I don't believe I spin a damn thing. What I do is focus people accurately and honestly on the truth. So in what I find the defense does is spin. And I know you're using it in a loose sense. I just react to it because I've had lawyers accuse me of it in a courtroom and I uh, go after them pretty hard when they do it. So I'm sensitive about it because that's not who I am. But I know that's not what you meant. Now let me answer the damn question and quit being sensitive. The answer is, yeah, there is a, there is a way to very easily tap into common sense, collective wisdom, life experiences, and teach people why that's just not a fair defense here. And so let me give you the baseline of it. Let me give you the fundamental guts of it. But I want to start with the formula because I don't want to leave this with just, hey, I've solved that problem for you. I want to leave you with how did I do it so you can solve any problem comes your way when the problem is one that's unfair to reach the conclusion the other side wants. Not where, hey, it really is a problem. My client did something terrible. So let's go back to it. What is the fixed fact? What is the perceived problem? My client's in lousy health. They're overweight and they've had some back problems and now I'm suing over a back problem. That's a fact. That's a fact. Wrong conclusion. That means you couldn't have been hurt badly in this case. This isn't a big case. It's a small case if it's any case at all. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Right conclusion. That background of my client is actually making this injury a a worse injury for them. Therefore, the value, if we're being fair about it, is of a greater value for having taken what was remaining of their health. So what is now? I look at the problem and say, why are we still right in spite of the fact my client's 300 pounds, got diabetes, and had back problems in the past, and I'm having a lawsuit of a back problem? Why are we still right in spite of? And I look at the circumstances, and I look hard. And so what is the answer? I've looked at this hard. Here's the answer. Baselines, reserves, and coping. And if you're not driving, please write those three words down. Baselines, reserves, and coping. Now let me put those three powerful words into use. When my client was younger, my client was in perfect health, was a perfect specimen of health. And therefore, her baseline was way up here, way up here. And over time, wear and tear, some health problems, some age, her baseline dropped down some. And now it's down here instead of up here. No fault of the defenses, but it's a change over time of circumstances that often happens as people get older. Well, guess what happens when they were up here? My client had all of this in reserve. I'm going to stand up a little here. All of this in reserve. But when it came down to here, how much is left in reserve? A whole lot less. Instead of this in reserves, it's this in reserves. What does that do? It affects coping. A person's ability to cope is directly tied to the amount of reserves that they have. When their baseline is up, They got a lot of reserves. Their ability to cope with something like this being thrust into their life unnaturally is greater. 
That's just common sense. When reserves are lower because their baseline was lower, then their ability to cope with this kind of injury is less. It's common sense. So this injury to my client, honestly, if you think about it, would have been less of an overall impact had my client's health been perfect, but it wasn't. And as a result, the impact and the ability to cope is more profound because this isn't like a, an addition problem. We don't say, well, you had these two problems and we just added one more, so that equals three. It's not an addition problem. It's a multiplication problem. There's a compounding effect because the reserves are down and the coping is less. That's like saying to somebody, you had two good eyes and you lost an eye, unrelated. And then someone came along later and, and caused you to lose the other eye because they weren't doing their job. Would you say, well, it's just you lost one eye, now you lost two? No, you went from being able to see, albeit limited, to not be able to see at all. It's a multiplication problem, it's compounding. So it's worse under these circumstances. So that's the underlying basis. And if you want, I'll give you a couple more layers to it that then came out of that epiphany. I'd love to hear about how you reached those epiphanies. Maybe you can elaborate. Sure. sure. It, it's just a matter of I sat in a courtroom over and over and I watched the defense, tr tr defense exploit the fact I had clients who had a little age, had a little mileage, had a health problem, had a weight problem. I don't care what. And they're, they, honestly, to me, it felt like you're treating them like second-class citizens, like they're, they're undeserving of justice because, you know, they aren't triathletes. And, and it, frankly, pissed me off. And, and I felt like there was a chance of an injustice happening on my watch, which I am very intolerant of. So I spent energy and effort focusing on saying, I know this isn't fair. I know we're right. Why are we still right in spite of the fact many of my clients got histories of health problems and aren't great, great in great health. And why shouldn't they get full justice too? And I started thinking as a practical matter, well, they're getting older. It isn't that I, I got bad clients. It isn't that, you know, what, why am I so unlucky? It's because everyone that age has got problems like that or most. So of course I've got clients with those problems. So then I said, well, what am I going to do about it? What's wrong with it? And it re I realized it, the, a light went off. I said, here's what's wrong with it. It's the opposite of what they're portraying. They don't have less of a need for justice. This injury was not less impactful because of their pre-existing conditions and problems. It made it harder to bear, bear the burden of this additional problem. It dawned on me, this isn't a simple addition problem. It's a multiplication problem. It's not one plus one equals two. It's exponentially greater. It's like saying someone had two good eyes, they lost one unrelated, just some medical condition. Then somebody comes along and they're in a crash and they lose their other sight. Would you ever say, well, it's, you lost one, this is just one more? Hell no. It's not addition, it's multiplication. It's compounding because you went from some vision to no vision, not, well, just one more eye. And that same principle in my mind led to, all right, now how do I put words to make sense of this I'm seeing it. Now I got to explain it, which means I have to communicate it, which means I have to pick the right words. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, basically people have a baseline. And if the baseline's lowered, their reserves are lowered. We all know what reserves are. 
If I go to get up and carry a heavy load out of the car and I'm feeling great in the morning, I just carry it and drop it. If I woke up and slept wrong, got a crick in my neck, I go to pick it up and go, oh my God. And it's much harder to get that to the car. Why? It didn't get easier because I had the crick in my neck. It got worse. So I realized that's because your reserves are depleted. And anytime your reserves are depleted, your ability to cope is worse. You're not as good at coping. When your reserves are high, you can embrace, you're not embrace, but you can withstand the blow of something else because you had plenty in reserve to handle it. So that's where the words of it all came from. That's where the epiphany became something usable and shareable and reproducible. Love it. And as we always do on, these ser on this series with the Keith Mitnick show, maybe you can extrapolate a broader 20,000 foot above principle that people can use in their everyday life from this epiphany that you had and this brilliant, um, this brilliant piece that you had. Let's start with a life story. All of this stuff has to do with what I consider empathy. And I think empathy is essential to our country coming back together and healing and loving each other again. Empathy doesn't mean sympathy. Doesn't mean you feel sorry for someone. Empathy means I can appreciate what you're going through and I can feel for you. I can recognize that's gotta be hard. You're carrying a heavy load and I get it. And I feel for you. I don't feel sorry for you. I get it. I appreciate it. That's called empathy. These are empathy lessons. I, I was thinking if someone's walking down the street and they're really overweight and they're kind of struggling and I'm trying to get around them on the sidewalk and they're kind of blocking it. And you know what I'm thinking? God almighty, bud, get the hell over. I'm in a hurry. If I take these lessons and remind myself, wait a minute, you know what? I'm moving quick because I'm in better health, which means my, my baseline is better. I should be saying thank you, not getting aggravated at the guy. And I ought to recognize his baseline's lower, which means his reserves are down and his ability to cope's down. That's why he's moving slow. So how about being a little patient and saying thank you that I'm not struggling like that. I feel for the guy. Instead, of, I want to wring his neck because he slowed me down. That's the empathy side. We can take these lessons into life and just remember when you're frustrated, ask yourself, what is that person's baseline? What are their reserves? Is that impacting their ability to cope? It can be in your family. It can be a stranger. And I believe it'll raise your empathy level. And I believe it makes us all better people the more empathetic we are. So that's the life lesson. So let me wrap today's... Love it. Love it. Good. Let me, let me, um, let me uh, wrap up with an actual courtroom example. I, I tried a case. And the person um, had had a catheter that was in because they were having rectal cancer surgery. And the nurse, not on purpose, but did the nurse pulled the catheter out. It wasn't supposed to be pulled out yet because there was an area that was healing from the surgery. As a result, the person ended up with a permanent injury that required them to have the, a, a surgical catheter put in through their stomach rather than you know through their genitalia that would come out temporarily. It went right into their bladder through their stomach as they were for, for forever for all practical purposes and that person that was the lawsuit well the person unexpectedly their cancer came back and they ended up they they, they were thought things were going better with cancer and going to survive they didn't they died before it ever got to court so we couldn't bring a wrongful death case because the cancer had nothing to do with what the doctors did wrong all we had left is what's called a survival action which is 
what is the value of his suffering during the 18 months with this catheter in? And that's all the only thing we're entitled to pursue. Not the wife missed him for dying because of death, in fairness, had nothing to do with this. So I got this case, and we're in it because we didn't expect him to die. He didn't. We aren't going to quit on the client under those circumstances. So we finished it. I came and helped our lawyer try the case. And here was the issue. The defense was trying to diminish it by saying it's only 18 months. I think it was 18. I may be off a little, but I think it was 18 months. It was only 18 months. And by the way, the whole 18 months, he's under chemo. He's struggling with cancer. He's got a colostomy bag because his cancer was rectal cancer. So he had all these problems. So how much worse could it be that he had a urine catheter in? Well, the testimony from our client was, but we videoed him before he died and his wife said, that it was causing him all kinds of problems, much more than the other. They thought the chemo would be terrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as they thought. The colostomy bag sounded gross and horrible. It turned out, while nobody would want it, it was having much less of an impact than they thought. But the urine bag was leaking. It was causing, um, he would have spasms and pain and blood would drip into it. He felt like he smelled bad and didn't want to go out. And suddenly it really was having a profound impact. But it's 18 months and he had all these other problems. So guess what? It was a perfect opportunity to use this thing I invented. So I told the jury, this person is living with a heavy burden already. He's on chemo. He's got a colostomy bag. He's in a fight for his life with cancer. And this has been thrust into his life unnaturally by because someone didn't do their job right at the hospital and pulled this thing out. So now on top of all that, now he's got the urine bag that is a catheter in his stomach and it's causing him all these problems. And I listed those problems. And I said, so why does it matter if his life already was so burdensome? And I said, I'll tell you why. Because his plate was already full. This was the last thing he needed. Why? Because his baseline had come down so much with the significant struggles he was going through. He had so little left in reserve. So the ability to cope with this pile on top of it created extraordinary suffering for him. Extraordinary. And it wasn't just over a meaningless period. It was the last 18 months of his life. And, and anything that's precious that's in lesser supply is more valuable. And this is the most precious thing. The last 18 months of his life were spent carrying this extra load, all times not equal. And his burdens were down. And then I went through and explained it's not, a, it's not an addition problem, it's a multiplication problem. And the end result of that story is the defense who really treated it, in our opinion, as, you know, not something to be worried about because it just couldn't, no jury was going to give a significant amount under the circumstances. We proved them wrong. The jury did do a significantly right thing. Why? Because I talked to them in a way that was straight talk. And they got it, and they understood it, and they did the right thing. And it's why I love what we do. Because when this system works, it is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see in your life. And what I'm sharing is ways to give us a better chance of it working in courtrooms and hopefully in life. <music>